0: I really mm-hmm. don't think that there there has been such uh, just almost unhidden. they don't they don't even see a problem with what they're doing. unhidden uh, coordination to to attack a uh, an administration or sitting president. And I think that's that's disgusting.
1: My name is Matt Orchard and welcome to 50-50 Bias Both Ways. This is the podcast where I talk to the most controversial people that I can find and then deliver two incredibly lopsided interviews back to back. The first 15 is as cordial as I can make it and the second 15 is as contentious as humanly possible. Alright, so, fun one today. Uh, the last couple of years and... Especially since the election of Donald Trump, I think the political spectrum has really significantly altered. Uh, left wing and right wing just don't quite mean what they used to, and there are all kinds of weird little subcultures springing up which I don't think really fit perfectly into any traditional description. My guest today is someone who I thought would be as good a spokesman as any for what we'll call the new right, a movement that's difficult to define in ways that will apply to everyone under its umbrella but is generally characterized by a combination of civic nationalism politically incorrect humor often in the form of uh, online memes, a rejection of some of the more prudish aspects of traditional conservatism and most importantly, an enthusiastic support for America's 45th president. All of these are qualities that Lucian has in spades. And uh, this was uh this was a funny one too because when I initially walked out of the studio after recording it, I thought god, I, you know, I was a bit weak there. I could have bought a much better fight in the second half. And then after actually listening to it, I thought, nah, actually that was uh, that was good enough. And I think it just speaks to how fundamental so many disagreements over Trump are. I mean, you can fight over any given policy or, or what have you for, for only so long until the opponent is essentially saying, I think this is terrible. And the supporter is saying, I think this is great. And you know, where are you really supposed to go from there? So we might have hit a brick wall by the end, but I-, I hope you'll agree that we hit that brick wall in an entertaining manner. Either way, let me know what you think on the Facebook page, Facebook slash 5050 Matt Orchard or the subreddit r slash 5050podcast or the website the 5050 com. That's 50 with numbers, not letters, in all instances. You can rate and review on iTunes to help push it up the charts and keep up to date by following me on twitter at real orchard and for god's sake if you like what you hear and you want more seasons in the future tell your friends about it and share it on social media lucian wintrich is the inaugural white house correspondent for the right wing website gateway pundit and has historically had a penchant for photographing gay boyish looking shirtless men wearing make america great again hats but i will let him explain all that in more detail without further ado lucian wintrich I am joined by Gateway pundit, White House correspondent, Lucian Wintrich. Lucian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me.
0: Appreciate it. Well,
1: you're welcome. So, Lucian, just uh, to start off with, uh, you've definitely got an interesting origin story. So, can you just give us the the sort of brief rundown of your background and how you went from sort of, I guess I don't know if you like this description or not, but a, a cosmopolitan sort of creative and artist to a White House correspondent. And how that transition took place in such a short period of time? Uh,
0: well, uh, yeah, certainly. So back in back in New York, I moved there to uh, to work at one of the top advertising firms in uh, not just New York, but actually in the world, with accounts ranging from uh, Budweiser, to Hershey Chocolate, to Coca Cola. And I, um, in my spare time, it was uh, uh, around the time of the the twenty sixteen elections. I was uh, political in my sp- in my spare time I would uh, conduct some interviews i'd write a couple op eds for various publications. One of my friends ran a conservative publication at the time <clears throat> and uh, it was it was very much an aside though to most of my my actual like my my career in mm-hmm. advertising and then you know i also i, I also sort of moonlit as a uh, club promoter and party promoter yeah. and photographer so i i, I sort of uh, uh, pulled a bunch of that stuff together. I had a concept for a, a series of photos of, uh, I'm, I'm a gay guy, I had a concept for a series of photos of gay guys in uh, Trump hats to sort of um, poke fun at some of the narratives on the left that you can't be gay and conservative or you, uh, um, or yeah, you can't even live in New York and be conservative according to, <laughs> to some people. Some,
1: Yeah, 20% right of the population, something like that.
0: <laughs> um and you know the uh at first the my the company I was working for they said they were fine with it it's great just don't uh, um don't mention that you work here to, mm-hmm. for these other things these other projects you're engaged in and then all of a sudden a week before I was up for a major promotion uh they put my um manager or whatever you'd call him my supervisor me into his office I thought he was going HR was sitting there I I thought that that was going to be the big day that he would say you have a uh, here's the promotion here's your new paycheck but instead he said we need to sever ties immediately and uh, that maybe they'll hire me in the near future asked when he said oh well um, maybe in December which is obviously after the elections (laughs) yeah Uh, and yeah I mean from from there I was I was pretty shocked and appalled that a company that I gave, that I that I was really, exce- uh, uh, I excelled as an employee at, I made them a ton of money, mm. that they would throw me under the bus like that. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I can imagine. Very, very fortunately, I had all of a sudden had a ton of time on my hands uh, and only a couple months on the, uh, with my, <laughs> with my savings account at the time. So I threw the uh, first ever, what's considered to be the uh, the only pro-Trump art show and what actually is the first ever uh, all-conservative participant art show mm-hmm. ever in the world. Yep. And I've looked this up. People try to downplay it as, uh, oh, it was just the first pro-Trump art show. No, no, no. It was the first conservative art show. Uh, and that was, that was a uh, smashing uh, success. Uh, wonderfully was- attended, incredible artists – Say it again.
1: And caused a fair amount of chaos at the time as well. I think from memory.
0: Oh, I, we were we were kicked out of multiple different <laughs> art uh, studio spaces and galleries. Uh, one studio that I that agreed to it and I signed a lease. They bailed at the last minute because half of their other artists said that if they would allow our show to go on there, that uh, no other artist in New York, no other prominent artist would ever exhibit with them again. So they actually broke their lease, but we were able to finally find a yeah find a, a gallery space that worked for our that actually worked for the show and yeah short you know shortly after that, I think uh, it got around that I was a a relatively ambitious young conservative uh, recently fired, and for the most part, other conservatives tend to look out for their own. And I, uh, I had already met Jim Hoft my current boss at a uh, party we hosted over the summer, the wake up uh, gaze for Trump party, which was a lot of fun. And he yeah he said, uh, how do you feel about um, starting as a White House correspondent once Trump uh, takes over?" I said absolutely I neither of us were even sure this would pan out that this would happen but Hope Hicks and Bannon, they greenlit us and we were able to uh we were able to get in yeah well i mean as i said it's a pretty remarkable
1: story so uh, no matter what you think of trump it's definitely interesting to listen to um and i I gotta say so i mean i mentioned um i mentioned to you during our correspondence that while i'm not a, a trump supporter and we'll get to that in a bit i do definitely see the appeal in a lot of in certain parts of the movement and one of the things I just wanted to bring up that I really admire, because I know you're all about the media, one of the things I really admire about the sort of new right movement is their ability at branding. So, my favorite example of this was like just after, uh, just after the election, I was watching, you know, John Oliver and, and CNN and New York Times and so forth. They were all talking about this threat of of fake news and how it was, you know, fake news that was to blame for the results and how, you know, everyone had to be really vigilant about this. And I got to sort of watch in real time as the sort of reddit and 4chan crowd sort of went to each other okay guys this is obviously their new talking point let's co-opt it and they just relentlessly branded like every misstep every you know misleading headline every biased piece of reporting fake news fake news fake news, fake news. and in no time you got you know president trump at that presser i think it was the cnn reporters yelling you fake news and it just went from a mainstream media talking point to this annoying thing that trump supporters say like literally <laughs> over the course of a couple of weeks, and it was totally deliberate. I mean, they stole the term. It was it was beautiful. I mean, I, as I say I respect the strategy, right? So, I guess my question is, um, yeah, as far as I can tell, this sort of like online guerrilla warfare is a totally new phenomenon. So, where do you think that comes from, and, and why is it pre- pretty much everyone in that sort of in that sort of camp a part of Trump's team?
0: Well, you know, uh, for many of us, required uh, required reading is uh, Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. And you have to take the, the tactics of the left and how they're trying to keep us down and how they're trying to steer thought – and use those same tactics against them. I think a yeah a lot of what we do is sort of a, a almost a, yeah guerrilla warfare, and we are we are sort of fighting rushing rushing the leftist media from the forest rather than just going down the battlefield in formation, which is very disorienting to them, obviously, because they're they're used to these very traditionalist structures, and. That has afforded us, I think, a tremendous amount of success and placed us where we are, where we are today. Um, I mean, I, I, personally in school, I studied military strategy, diplomacy, and propaganda. Yep. And what the left, what the left is doing, especially leftist media, New York Times, CNN, ABC, they're they're putting out a very specific type of propaganda continuously and they they've been uh, in charge i think of narrating the discussion and steering the discussion for so long that again yeah they're they're completely disoriented and they uh, further further than just that most of us are have uh, at least some semblance of a sense of humor and we're not really too scared to uh, occasionally seem unprofessional Humor and
1: uh, mo- yeah, I was gonna say humor is a big part of it because, and I was watching an interview with uh, Milo Yiannopoulos in Australia. He was doing recently where he said, you know, the left have been doing this forever. Well, now the right are starting to do it. Get used to it. Um, but with the exception of the only big notable exception I can think of of, of say South Park, um, it really has, in my mind, been a recent development where the right has actually started to be funny intentionally. Gavin McInnes, as well, as an example.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is Ga- Gavin. Uh, Gavin's hilarious. He's a good friend of mine. Milo, Milo was a friend of mine for a while, but we've had a uh, uh, recent falling out. But yeah, abs- absolutely. Humor, humor is a a large part of it. I I don't necessarily think that uh, it's an issue of oh, conservatives are. Are uh, starting to be funny. I think uh, most of them were always funny, but the ones in media were too scared to actually implement any of their conservative beliefs in their work for fear of, uh, of reprisal. The yeah. one guy, what's his name, uh, who did the Airplane movies? Uh, uh, Zucker? Yeah, it's like I think he had Zucker. Um, I don't know. Whatever that guy, guy's name <laughs> is, he, he is uh, <clears throat> He's I mean, he's a big time conservative, but his first conservative movie, which was an American Carol, I believe, uh, came out eight years ago, I want to guess. Hilarious movie tanked at the box office because it dealt with conservative uh, ideology and uh, the leftist far left publications refused to give it a good review. Nobody ended up going out to see uh, to actually see it. And that was, that was because we were operating under this very toxic liberal media climate. And now that we're able to break in, conservative media and conservative humor is also breaking through Right. Um, because uh, people are able to actually see it and judge for themselves what, what's funny and what's not funny. And for the most part, I think we're far funnier than the left because we don't have the same, the same barriers that the left has. We don't have the same sort of policing of thought or speech.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, as I said, a very interesting cultural development. I'm I'm enjoying watching it. There's uh, The other thing I just want to talk about in terms of media bias is, so I mean, generally speaking, the mainstream media in the US has always tilted leftward, I mean, at least in modern times. I'm not a media historian, but in modern times, certainly. But they do hate Trump with a particular passion. So what's what do you think is the most unfair thing or the thing that gets most under your skin personally that's often said about Trump?
0: Hard one. Um, You know, uh, the most unfair thing, I think the general demeanor of the media towards this administration gets under my skin every day. Every uh, time I'm at one of these press briefings, it's wild to me to see these other correspondents uh, work together to come up with uh, the most salacious thing they can accuse the administration of. Pass that around to each other in Slack messages and text messages, and then try to attack the administration. I really mm-hmm. don't think that there there has been such uh, just almost unhidden. They don't they don't even see a problem with what they're doing. Unhidden uh, coordination to to attack a uh, an administration or sitting president and. I think that's that's disgusting i, I think that it uh, to to have the media to have half the media in this country the leftist media um work against work against the administration of a country that that would only, that could only result in the in the um lack uh, uh what a, a country not succeeding they're working against the success of the country when they're working against uh the president and the administration
1: Right. So, I mean, it's not even the attempt at being impartial or being objective is is sort of the the main thing. Yeah. And obviously
0: you're— I mean, I'm sure you've seen the briefings or uh, Jim Acosta's reporting, right? Uh, Yeah. I
1: mean, I agree with you, too. I mean, a lot of it, they're not even questions. It's sort of this is an opportunity for me to give a speech kind of thing. Uh, Talking about the Statue of Liberty. People
0: have have come here from— um, Australia, Germany, uh, England—almost all foreign press that I've uh, that I'm friends with or that I've talked to—primarily, um, most of them are liberal. The vast majority of them are liberal. Mm-hmm. They all still say that they've never seen. They say, "Oh, you know, there is still a leftist bias in my bias in my country," mm-hmm. but I've never seen anything like I've seen in the U.S.
1: Yeah, I was—I don't remember who said this, but someone was saying they actually wish it would go back to the time where no news publication w- pretended to be impartial it was just you know this is the republican gazette and this is the <laughs> democrat post because at least it would sort of be there wouldn't be that pretension of objectivity it would just be up front you know this is who we are yeah. and this is what you're getting kind of thing
0: i mean you know I, I think what what uh so people accuse gateway pundit uh the publication that i write <laughs> for of of being right wing um absolutely like absolutely we are we we quite honestly we wear it on our sleeve which again as as you said i think is far uh, better and less disingenuous than what a lot of these major networks and organizations such as the times are doing
1: yeah and um, quickly, uh, we'll go a little bit over time for the first section. But just one thing I wanted to ask before we move on. So you're obviously a conservative and a big fan of Trump. So there were more classically conservative options, I, I guess you could say, in the primary, like Ted Cruz, for instance, would be an example. So, uh, what do you? What drew you to Trump specifically? Uh, just, you know, give me the quick pitch, and then we'll go to the next bit.
0: That's a great question. Well, he was. Uh, I did. I felt an incredible need for this country to have a political outsider and a new lineup uh, within the administration, within the government itself. And Trump, Trump could provide that. I didn't like Cruz. I, I wasn't wild about, uh, about Rubio. Um, I liked uh, Rand Paul for a while, but his, his demeanor, I think, uh, was lacking. And, you know, people criticize Trump's uh, demeanor. I, everything from uh, what trump when trump started laying out policy i was relatively undecided i think until june when trump actually started laying out policy while simultaneously criticizing the establishment of the party that he was running in which is a very uh a pretty uh, odd thing right because if you're mm-hmm. running for president you you want yeah you want to pull in uh, pull in the uh higher ups there he did the exact opposite Yep. <laughs> that comp- uh, compiled and compounded with his uh more i think crass way of occasionally speaking and his nicknames for people and uh, it was all it was very i think wonderful and and uh performative i i think that and that, yeah that resonated with a lot of other a lot of other americans yeah, it's and true, it's, it's still name. it's still going on it's wonderful we have a president who is calling out the fake news
1: Okay, well, uh, that'll that'll transition nicely to the second the second half. So, uh, I'll just lay my cards <clears throat> on the table here for you, Lucian. So, if I was an American in a swing state on election day, I, I would have voted for Hillary Clinton, and <clears throat> it would have been a begrudging vote, but not one that I would really have to hesitate about. And I think the reason, above all else, for that is I could not justify putting such an obnoxious reactionary moron in a position of being the one to negotiate with countries like Iran and North Korea. So, now, you're not just an anti-Hillary guy, but positively pro-Trump, and uh, could you explain why you don't see an issue with his temperamental issues that you were sort of alluding to there um, when you consider the amount of power he has and why you don't lose any sleep at night over the prospect of a nuclear apocalypse? (laughs)
0: Um well first of all yeah um, in it is very funny I, I like that uh, that there was a humorously biased question for a journalist it's very cute that you're sort of learning the ins and outs of uh, biased reporting I'm not I'm not um, trying
1: to be impartial I mean that's the whole point of the show is very soft one side very competitive the next side so up front
0: well first of all we we do have a check- and balance system in in America so this this notion that oh my god his his fingers on the uh, on the uh, Nuclear button and uh, the entire world could blow up. It's just it's just so silly. It's so asinine, and it's based on I think a lack of understanding about how our how our government works here. Um, the second thing about his temperament, I, I mean I I think his temperament's wonderful. I, you could either, as Hillary did, uh, through her rotten teeth, uh, call half the country deplorables, or. You could uh, and and oh, I'm a victim. A. Hey, Hillary still is calling herself a victim with her book. What happened? Would you want to? I didn't say I'm a. F- and- I am did not
1: say I'm a fan of Hillary Clinton, though. So I mean, I take that on board, but try and keep it on Trump as much as possible.
0: So yeah, if, if, comparing the uh, the demeanors of the two, I infinitely prefer uh, Trump's demeanor. We've had a. a under the Obama administration, um, leaders from from uh, around the world were able to sort of walk all over us. Quite honestly, during the Clinton administration, um, that that is what led to uh, to the situation with North Korea that we have now. Trump's hardline approach, and even just just uh, uh, being a little bit combative, saying saying uh, if they try anything, they'll be met with fire and fury military experts uh and diplomatic experts said you know what this actually this sort of worked nothing else we were trying this pussyfooting around wasn't working what trump's doing now is in fact working but after after Um, you not uh, you know not only that but it's it's getting uh trump in office has gotten Millions of Americans interested in into politics who otherwise uh, were very impartial to it. We have we have uh, younger Americans waking up and, and wanting to, uh, actually wanting to and engage uh, engaging with American history and uh, modern policy. That's really important. And if, if uh, there's one, one thing that Trump uh, will actually have, have accomplished, because uh, I right now I am sort of upset with uh, the the stagnations on uh, tax reform and health care. Uh, It will be waking up uh, an entire generation to American history and American policy.
1: You were talking about
0: that fire and
1: fury comment and how people were saying, you know, nothing else works. But the thing is, he made that fire and fury comment and then North Korea has continued to do testing and they haven't been met with fire and fury. So doesn't that sort of hurt the nuclear deterrence
0: they're they're met with uh, they were met with uh, much tougher sanctions at uh, China for the first time. So far, and free, uh, I mean, ages is is, is uh, does appear to be working with us and, and trying to keep a, a cap on on a uh, little North Korea. So, listen, you have to remember during uh, Obama's presidency, I don't have an exact number in front of me, but at least uh what was it at least a couple times three four times a year you'd read that oh north korea's testing missile north korea's uh um threatening threatening the united states and obama really wouldn't say very much he'd just say okay guys uh please don't do that um they're they're uh I mean, i can see What's the What's the argument? You think that it's it's uh, just as effective as other diplomatic strategies? I'll concede
1: it can go too far in the other direction as well. I mean, especially forget Obama even for a second, like Madeleine Albright and the way she interacted with Kim Jong Il. So I mean, it can go too far in the other direction as well. I'm just saying that even, even given the Madeleine Albright approach, I'd prefer that to the just blatant escalation of the situation. I mean, you're saying, you know, this is the only thing that works, but, I mean, that um, that's a well and good saying up until the moment that Kim Jong-un gets antsy and actually fires something. Well, do, we, of the-
0: do we want to escalate it? Here's the thing. Do we want to escalate it now while they're—, uh, they're- um, technology is 50 years past any other countries, um, or do we want to escalate it in the future when they, when they might have an opportunity to catch up the, the threat with North Korea is absolutely growing. And unless we cut it out now, while it's still somewhat in its infancy, uh, infancy, then we could end up with a much, much bigger problem in the future. I mean, again, Bill Clinton, um, during, uh, what, what was the, what was the, um, sort of, uh, uh, treaty back then called... I, I do That would have been the era you know, I he, was talking he negotiated. about. But. do you remember that, when, uh, Clinton negotiated with, with the North Koreans? Um, I, I imagine that was the era I was talking about,
1: because Madeleine Albright was her, his secretary of, the secretary of state then. Was, I, we're probably talking about the same time period, I assume? Yes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: so, um, what did, uh, what did Clinton do? Gave them, a, a five, uh, five billion dollars, and um, he said, "Hey, uh, just please, uh, here's some money. Just, just stop doing the nuclear, uh, the nuclear thing." Um, and uh, very, very unfortunately, uh, well, not even unfortunately. Very understandably, they took that five billion, and they said, "Hey, well, uh, we have more money to uh, develop now." I mean, I'll give you that. That's a bad move. I,
1: I still would imagine there's a middle ground between. Uh, as I said, escalating the situation and giving them $5 billion. But I'll put a pin in that for now because I want to move on to some other stuff. I mean, just in terms of the... I mean, similar thing to the temperamental issues, but not quite. Um, Just general incompetence as opposed to anything specific. So, I mean, take the travel ban, for instance. And I won't even get into the actual principle of the travel ban, but just the way it was rolled out initially. So when it was initially rolled out, there weren't even green card exceptions um, which just seems like an incredible oversight and there was chaos as a result of that kind of thing to me that just showed how unprecedented the level of incompetence in this particular White House is. I mean do you not feel uh, embarrassed or less sure of your support when your guy handles these kinds of things so poorly
0: no I don't I don't think he handled anything poorly I, I think that uh, with something like a travel ban from very dangerous countries uh, there's there's the only wrong way to implement so that would have been that? would have been not to implement it. <laughs> but so there shouldn't be green card exceptions. Um, not until not until we uh, fully fully work out our uh, our vetting system, which I believe uh, um, Sarah Sand was it Sarah Sanders or John Kelly the other day said that. Uh, that there will be some some refugees allowed in from these countries we, we we've improved our vetting standards i would see that that to me that bothers me i would love to uh, actually read a report on how those vetting those standards were approved rather than just uh, uh, having the administration blindly say oh we've improved upon them um so that bothers me more than than uh how the initial travel ban was rolled out
1: When I said green card exceptions, just to be really clear that we're on the same page. So I'm talking about someone who's been approved from one of these countries, has a green card, has been working. So, I mean, that's almost, I would say, I mean, that's sort of vetting in and of itself. They've gone, you know, overseas on vacation or back home to visit their family or what have you. They're coming back. They're returning to basically their residence and they're not allowed in. I mean, that is what the initial rollout Entailed, and it was quickly reversed because <coughs> right. it was well, such. Well, a...
0: obviously, there there would have been a huge problem if uh, because a lot of those people with green cards, again, um, many were not properly vetted, and uh, and still were able to uh, to gain entry. So, yeah, are we going to round? Would you have preferred uh, the administration round up everybody with a green card and uh, no. ship them back and and say you're not welcome back in that way? No,
1: I would have preferred there was a green card ex- exception, just like there was a green card exception after they. Solve the initial chaos from the botched rollout. I prefer the policy right. they ended up approving.
0: Wait, say, say the last thing again. I, 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 I
1: prefer that. the version of the of the order that they ended up approving, the one that's currently in place now. I mean, I'm not saying I'm even a fan of that, but I'm on. But at least what's the, same page what's, with the that.
0: what's the What's uh, the trick with? Um, okay, do you ever do you ever uh, go to a um, I I assume you've owned a used car, right, at some point or another in your life? Yeah. Or bought a used car? Sure. Okay. So, would you go to the guy and say, if he wants 10 grand for it, um, you uh, only want to pay eight. Would you say, uh, I'll give you eight, or would you say, I want to pay five?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is the um, the Dilbert, uh, Scott Adams sort of approach of the big first offer, right? You do something absolutely ridiculous first, and then uh, you can get more of what you want later.
0: The 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 bureaucracy and in, in passing any sort of policy in Washington is is an absolute nightmare, and so you always have to overask, and then have it uh, once it rolls back, you end up getting what you want.
1: So you implement a bill that's absolutely atrocious and leads to chaos and is an absolute clusterfuck, and makes that's you look the, like the you're right out and the and and left. Makes you, and that's, that's what, what the right like,
0: and the left does. I mean, uh, I don't Obama, remember any previous administration
1: yeah. deliberately bungling the rollout of a policy like that. On purpose, well, deliberately on purpose, sorry, it's a um, redundancy, but... In order to get what they wanted through that doesn't sound like a strategy that's going to do you much good in the long run. It makes you look incompetent. You, do you think? What, some-
0: what about what about uh, Obama's Affordable Care Act, which um, raised premiums? Oh, you can keep your insurance. You can keep your uh, this uh, same premiums. You could see any doctor you want. And um, insurance for for most uh, Americans, just middle class Americans, right, who are we'll say making anywhere from $30,000 uh, a 130000 a year. They saw their premiums double. They had to switch doctors. Um, it so was do you, uh, many – yeah?
1: Do you think that Obama's bungling of that policy was something he did on purpose so that he could get more of what he wanted in the future? Do you think –
0: well, you know, with that one, I think nobody got what they wanted, which just speaks to the uh, um, the far more effective negotiator we have in the Oval Office these days.
1: Okay. Um, well, I'll, just one other tidbit, actually, I wanted to bring up just in terms of uh, the sort of personality of Donald Trump because there's so many things that come out, and this was just one small thing. I don't think it would be a small thing if it was another president, but one small thing that was just a, a favorite of mine from months gone by. So this is from Reuters. National Security Council officials have strategically included Trump's name in briefings, quote, in as many paragraphs as we can because he keeps reading if he's mentioned, uh, according to one source who re- related the conversation he had with NSC officials. So again, Lucian, any concern? I mean, would you like a president with just a tu- just a touch less self absorbed, maybe a, a bit longer of an attention span? Would that be a positive?
0: Oh, uh, you know, I think I think it's funny. We want somebody, by the way, we want somebody in the White House who is. Um, he does care about their their perception, I think. Uh, I know for a fact that Trump also reads uh, a ton of conservative news. He's shared articles from our our publication, The Gateway Pundit. Okay. Um, his, his Trump Jr. has retweeted me before. I want somebody in the White House who is uh, is actually going to be reading what the base is saying and uh, understanding what the people who elected him are hoping he actually accomplishes. So I think that's good. I mean, I really – I hope he has a Google search alert uh, up for his name.
1: I mean, the way I'm reading that is that they're including his name in briefings so that he doesn't lose – he doesn't lose place. He keeps paying attention because his name is coming up. It's not the news I mean, you, listen,
0: as somebody, as somebody who's read many, many of these uh, uh, briefings and, and policy papers, they are very, very dry – um, that, I mean, you, you gave me the brilliant idea. I don't maybe doubt before you. I read them, before I read them, maybe I'll I'll do a uh, with a certain word. I'll pick a word and do a find replace all in MS Word and have my name inserted. <laughs> Might be a good way to uh, to make it a little more engaging. I
1: don't doubt you, Lucian. That they're very dry, but I think a skill that a leader of the free world should probably have is the ability to you know stick through and bear through some sort of dry some dry writing sometimes.
0: Um, I mean, during during uh, many, many presidency or many, many presidents, typically they they do have um, well it's funny because most of them uh, start off the day by reading the paper. Uh, uh, Trump does start off by by watching Fox News, which also, you know speaks to the modernity of our times today. Uh, but yeah, if you if you think that all former presidents read, Every single uh, policy paper or or uh, wire that comes across their desk. I mean, obviously not. You'd be wildly mistaken, right? I don't
1: know if it has so been like, all I the like way. This
0: president. I like that. This president. Apparently, he's reading everything as long as his name's in it.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily the um, the inference I would draw from that. And again, I'm not. I don't think it's fair to say that. Um, just because not every president reads every single bill from cover to cover is the same thing as needing your name Laced every briefing you receive. But get see, I
0: mean that's that's another one of those silly tangents, though. Like uh, President Trump likes two scoops of ice cream. That's that's sort of in the same category. What we really have to look at is uh, what policies he's actually passing, um, what he's actually doing for this country, what what our uh, uh, current place in the world is. Not necessarily if he needs his, how much ice cream he likes, or or if he likes seeing his name in in uh, various reports.
1: Well, we'll end on some common ground because I don't really care about his ice cream habits, Lucian, So I'll give you that. <laughs> okay, uh, that's that's it. Lucian, thanks again for your time. And one thing I always ask guests as well is, how did you find the format?
0: I, I thought I thought it was effective. Um, I think it's a very common format to to uh, sort of st- start start uh, start off with more softball-y, getting to know you type of questions, and then try to build into a. Uh, build into more confrontation i mean that's that's sort of how i run my periscopes we just had a uh, an ultra right uh, uh somewhat of a white nationalist type of character on the show and that's more or less how we conducted it well uh, so um yeah i think i think it's a solid i think it's a solid way to uh do you get some information out of people
1: okay well thank you for making me feel less special there uh lucian i'm glad that uh, <laughs> i'm glad they enjoyed the experience and uh thank you again for your time
0: Thank you. Have a nice. Uh, is it evening there? Morning? Uh morning. 9 a.m. Okay. Well, have a nice morning. Yeah, have a good one.